I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have truly one of my favorite actors in the world, someone who's really changed my life that I had the pleasure of meeting so many years ago, and it was great to reunite, Jason Isaacs. You know him from the OA, Harry Potter, The Patriot, Armageddon, and far too many other projects to mention. We're here to talk about his new film, Skyfire. He's got an awesome film called Mass at Sundance, and it's such a wonderful interview. Because it was such a wonderful time, we went for about two and a half hours. So today, I'm releasing part one. Here it is. Jason Isaacs, welcome to An Act of Despairs. How are you doing, brother? I'm despairing. <laughs> I was, just, I was up all, all night watching, I don't know when this is, will be broadcast, but I was up all night watching the crazy scenes of uh, unimaginable shit that happened last night. Me too. Building. That's why I wore and, this, uh, this shirt. My brain is, I, the idea of publicizing a movie and talking about Entertainment feels uh, so nuts in the light of what's going on in the world. But on the other hand, what is there to do apart from escape to the movies and TV at the moment um, and vote when appropriate? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. My, it mind really is, is, my mind is blown up the last night. My mind is completely blown. You know, as as an American or even as a just an observer, I've never thought, you know, that 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 saying history repeats itself. It's it's just you know systematically true you know everything. I in a strange way, I, looking at that kind of mass hysteria and a mob marching up the road and storming a building like that, it's it made me understand more the allure of Nazism and of the kind of culture personality of the past. But that that man could have driven those people to do that, many of whom had not planned to do it before they got there. I don't think. Yeah. It's just, it's just utterly terrifying. Anyway, I don't want to just, you know, we can yeah, talk yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about rainbows uh, and, and butterflies and ponies, but I want to. You know. <laughs> before we start, man, I, I want to say I, you, your title is an act of despair. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it, it, it is hopeful. I love the. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I got to say, man, you are literally in my top five of all time favorite actors, man. Watching you work, you've been a real hero. Who are the other four? Uh, Rufus Sewell. Company? Who am I with? Rufus Sewell. Shane hey, Wiggum. We were at drama school together. No way. You were at Central? Yeah. Right. Glenn Fleshler. Yeah. And, uh, and probably Christian Bale. Yeah. Good actor. Yeah. yeah. I lived in Christian Bale's house once. Before he had his Batman money, uh, he and his wife very uh, generously, through someone we knew, rented their house out to me when he'd been away for a while. And, uh, it's a really lovely little house and a little, tiny little swimming pool. And I went away to make a movie while my wife was there and something went wrong with the <laughs> water and the sewage and it backed up and she was ankle deep in, uh, I don't know a nice way to put it, effluent. Uh, and phoned me and went, I can't believe you went away. We had a baby then at that point. And, uh, anyway, she got sort of, I came back and it took her like three or four days <laughs> living in that hell. I came back. <laughs> living in shit. I said, yeah. I said, well done, darling. I went away two weeks later to do another bit of the movie and the same thing happened. Oh yeah. my god! I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure she thinks I did it on purpose. But anyway, thanks, Christian. No, man. I mean, honestly, I, I 
I feel like in some way it's like my my secret because like you know when you discover a band that you love that hasn't taken off you yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're really that's what brotherhood has been to me you know what i mean like watching oh, you thanks, and jason go off each other man and and even ethan embry who i you know to, oh, yeah. to be blunt i didn't know was capable of that kind of you know i'd seen it mostly I don't, look not in the business of defending uh ethan or putting myself down or jason down but the fact is great material lifts you yeah. You know, when you if you're lucky enough to be around great scripts and great storytellers, uh, you just look good by reflection. Sometimes I open a script, you know, in the olden days when they weren't emails, and I would take it out of the big brown envelope and I'd start reading. And five pages in, I'd think, if I don't fuck this up, people are going to think I am creating a three-dimensional, you know, a memorable, uh, charismatic character. But it's all here. It's always the writing. Yeah. I mean, you have to be able to run with the ball if they give it to you. But everybody I know can. I, I, do, I mean, I. I can think of two or three actors in the history of 30-odd years who probably can't do it very well. But everyone I know, if you give them a great part, you'll suddenly see them in a different light. And I've been lucky. I've had a few great parts over the years. Well, you know, man, it's, it's one of those one. things, though. I, I, I hear that. But also, it's you in the sense that, like, one of the reoccurring themes on this podcast is the separation between good acting and great acting. And good acting are those actors that can make a living just playing the same personality type over and over again. And I get it, no judgment, but great actors are transformational and make such nuanced and distinct choices that no other actor in that world could have brought the character to life the way you did with Michael Caffey. And even in something like Harry Potter, I the choices know. you make, man, you're 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 a legend, brother. I, well, I, look I want the praise, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I want the praise, you know. I'm an act. I'm a bottomless pit of need for flattery. But it's just I've seen actors suddenly command the attention and respect of the entire world because they suddenly got a great part in yeah. something that, you know, you, uh, what's the name of the actor? I can't believe I forgot his name, uh, who was in Whiplash. And Miles Teller. And played the, uh, my, no, my, no, the older actor. Oh, J.K. Simmons? Yeah, Jake, of course, J.K. Yeah. Simmons. You know, up until then, he'd often been asked to play some version of the same part. Yeah. And you give him something that is magnificent. And he, of course, is magnificent. Yeah. And, you know, that, so that's, I don't know, that I, I want to think it's true. I'd like to think uh, that, that I do special things. But the truth is, in between those parts for which I've had a lot of praise or attention or awards or whatever, I've done other things where I poured all the same energy, creative choices and, you know, passion into it. And they're wallpaper. And they're never mentioned. They're not mentioned in a review or no one likes the film. Uh, and the difference is always in the writing. Always. It's so funny. Rufus said this exact same thing when I he was on the show. Um, I'm curious, though, you know, like, before we dig really deep into the work, I, I'd like to start at the beginning. You grew up in Liverpool, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How was that yeah. experience? Uh, well, I grew up in a little kind of self-created ghetto of, of Jewish people in Liverpool who had you know, a second generation of people who'd come over from uh, escaping the pogroms in the 1890s, yeah. so a third generation. So I, I lived in this little bubble. We moved to London. I was slightly overwhelmed by the gigantic anonymity of it all. Uh, and then I went to university, and, and uh, uh, similarly, I just, my mind was, I was just adrift, and I found acting. I found some place where I didn't feel like a freak show, yeah. and... Uh, I was instantly, you know, you have conversations in a rehearsal room that you would never have. You could sit next to someone at work for 50 years and never know them the way you know someone within a day in a rehearsal room because ostensibly you're discussing characters, but yeah. really it's a kind of group therapy. You're talking about yourself. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Liverpool and I, I went off to study. Were your parents artists or, or no? No, nobody in my world at all did anything artistic, even for a hobby. Wow. I'm talking about reading books. Never mind playing an instrument. Oh, my God. <laughs> my dad left school at 15. He was dirt poor. And uh, he made a, you know, a, a living for himself and a good living enough to send his kids to college. We're the first generation to go to college. Yeah, and there huge. was a, an understanding that we would do proper professional jobs. I have a brother who's a doctor, a brother who's a lawyer and stuff. We would grow up to be more respectable than he was and, and, and have secure lives. So when I decided to go to drama school, having studied law, it was a seismic shock in the family. And even to me, I, I still, you know, I, I remember vividly the, the day that I decided to actually go to drama school, having got in, thinking, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Why do I, what, what an insane, how am I jumping off into this surreal land when my path was mapped out? 
uh, you know, I'll try it. I'll dip my toe and then I'll come running back into uh, the world of suits and ties. And uh, here I am, you know, decades later. So talk to me, you know, as you were younger, were, you know, living in London, obviously there's the West End there and there's so many amazing, like, you know, young, young youth theaters. Were you ever seeing anything, even if it was a field trip for school? My family, it's odd because I'm English and because I speak well sometimes, although I have a very drifting accent, depending on who I'm talking to. Uh, it's assumed by other people that I am either well-educated or culturally or, yeah. uh, you know, academically or well-read. And none of the above is true. My family sat in front of the television. That's what we did. We ate and sat in front of the television all the time. I've got three brothers. We did a lot of sports as well. But that's all we ever did was watch television. Uh, it never, of course, occurred to me in a billion years I would be one of those people on television. But uh, that's all we did. We didn't go to the theater. We didn't go to galleries. I didn't see uh, opera or music yeah, or you I... know, even bands. I just, I was just in TV. That's all I did. Ever. Wow. What, what, what was it? Were there anything like in particular you remember show wise? Oh, it's just well, one of the great things, uh, you know, I had, there won't be one of those people go, well, it was all better back in the 1950s. But one of the great things about growing up, uh, when I was growing up is there were only three and then four channels. Yeah. So the entire nation was forced to watch whatever the BBC had decided to put on. So it meant you got a huge eclectic menu. You would watch the thing that you liked, but then you watch the thing that your dad liked, your mum liked. And then you watch this state of the nation drama written by some of the best writers ever, that you would never choose nowadays, because if you want to, you can just watch anime all day long. Yeah, or, you know, totally. French midget baseball, or whatever the hell it is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I got a very eclectic uh, television education. Uh, and then I went off to university, and I was stunned that my peers had been doing things like reading books, <laughs> or traveling, or oh. enriching themselves in other ways. When then, and when you were at law school, what was the impetus for law school? Well, you know, was it just something you're like, well, I guess I should be a lawyer? Or okay, I have in- no idea what to do. It's not like America. You know, in America, you go off, you study liberal arts, you study six or seven subjects. In yeah. Britain, when you're 18, you have to choose one subject. So whether it's history, English, art, math, economics, whatever, a single subject. Well, I didn't want to do any of the stuff I'd done at school because none of it excited me that much. And I thought, law is brand new. Everybody starts from scratch. Uh, like a good argument. And, uh, and great and pay. I- I guess I probably thought I'd get paid well yeah. if I kept doing it. Uh, and then I drifted badly drunk into an audition after Oof, a week. Been there. Uh, Four years oh, sober. So I, I get it. Oh, okay. Well, I yeah. got 22 years. But yeah, oh, okay. at the time. Okay. We'll have to talk about yeah, that later, but amazing. All right. But at the time, I was, uh, you know, everybody arrives in Freshers' Week. They're just going, I don't know who to be. I don't know who these people are. I better try and give off the impression that I'm confident. I was utterly unconfident about the strange, kind of vulgar, nouveau riche world I'd come from when I was around all these what seemed to be English Bohemian, you know? yeah totally. but also they'd all gone to the same boarding schools that the circle I'd fallen into, uh, they seemed insanely confident, they had a lot of sex they'd had, N- they nepotism having, and, and all yeah. so, yeah and they were used to having bank accounts even you know, yeah. I, I, just, I was just, anyway I pretended, I guess, like I'd done most of my life I put forward a front, but then I drunk I, I stumbled into an audition and I found my people that was my, an audition, a, a rehearsal room was where I belonged and maybe where I still belong. It's a, it's a, it's really group therapy. I mean, no matter that you're talking 100%. about characters in dilemmas and situations, what you're really talking about often is either yourself as you are or self as you might have been uh, and, or someone you know. And it's, there's no more fascinating place in the world than when people are discussing uh, the insides of human beings in a rehearsal room. And would you say when you stumbled in that rehearsal room, drunk or not, that you felt this seismic shift in, in your mind of like, this is it for me? Or- oh, fuck no. Oh, no. Not that I would ever do it for a living. Yeah. Jesus, no. But, but, it, but it would be my hobby. I'm not sure. I thought, I mean, I have a very addictive, I'm an addict. I have a very addictive personality. I found this thing and I thought, I want to do it tomorrow. And I want to do it again. And as soon as the play was over, I wanted to do another one. And then I wanted to do them and produce them and direct them and write them and, you know, take them off to festivals that i just wanted to do that yeah. all the time and uh you know it's all that I ended up getting paid for i remember my nephew when he was trying to decide what to do at college my brother's kid i said to him hey dave you're really handsome you love playing the guitar you write songs why don't you take a year and try and write some songs my brother phoned up and went what the fuck did you say to david oh my <laughs> god i said oh. i said i was just saying that some people make a living at the things that they love doing you know yeah and he said no one does that very few people do that. Don't put that shit in his head. And, uh, you know, he's ended up being a doctor and psychiatrist and he loves his job. But, uh, but I ended up doing something for a hobby and becoming so obsessed with it that I didn't really look up 
until suddenly it was the only thing I could do. Yeah. And, and, and at that moment, did you, as you were integrating yourself into acting and the scene, did you have like a, a mentor or a guide to tell you like, Hey, you should go to one of these great oh, drama God, schools. No. Wow. No, God, I didn't. I mean, I, even when I was a, uh, a student, a law student doing acting, doing it a lot, taking it at festivals and stuff and putting on plays, there were some people from the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School, drama school, which was also yeah. in Bristol. Daniel Day Lewis, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, who were acting with us. Uh, in fact, my friend Sean Pert, who was acting with us, for instance. And I remember thinking, although we were in plays together and we were contemporaries, they were clearly from different genetic material because yeah. they were going to go and be professional actors. I played football, soccer, you know, played tennis a lot. Yeah. I never thought I was going to end up at Wimbledon or playing for Liverpool. I mean, like, it just, it just didn't seem realistic yeah. that I would get, I would end up doing this job and getting paid. Certainly, you know, if if you ever put feelers out, even when you do go to drama school, you meet people. All ever, ever anyone talks about is you won't make a living. You'll be starving. Make sure you have other jobs. You know, do cash jobs. Keep your receipts. I mean, the, the talk is always only of how everyone is going to fail, and you better prepare yourself for that. You know, a ton of rejection and stuff. Um, so, it, and that's you know, that's red meat to an eighteen-year-old or a twenty-year-old. Yeah. You think, yeah, let me try. But it is true for most people. I'd be, I and numbers of my friends have been incredibly lucky to dodge yeah. those bullets. That's so beautiful. I try and discourage people. Whenever they ask, I try and discourage them. But it's, about, you know, about acting? About acting uh, solely. I think nowadays, you know, there's no excuse not to be a writer, director, editor, actor. I think it's the only you know, way got, to make it now. Yeah. But if you've got one of these things, you've got a studio. Yeah. You like, you, like your co-star, Britt Marling. You know, I don't, like I, don't, I, don't, I, don't yeah. I don't think it would have, you know, I she's beautiful, but it, her doing that is, I think, you know, another earth and all the things she did got her. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, she did it originally. She wrote because she wasn't getting the work that she deserved. Um, but I know lots of people who, even when they're very, very successful, they really only start to feel satisfied on a deeper level when they take the reins. So why wait? When, I, when I'm talking to 17, 18 year olds, I always go, look, the Holy Grail is what people your age want to watch. And it's people made that are coming up with that shit, which is completely wrong. So you should be coming up with it. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And but no, I didn't have a mentor. Nobody told me that. <laughs> uh, I, well, I I'm glad no one did because you turned out to be one of the best. So um, let me let me you know talk to you, man. I mean, what about what made you choose Central? You know, there's no shortage of you know you got Lambda, Old Vic, Rada. You know, okay, uh, I I'd already had what they had in those days. Uh, it was free to go to college, to university. They paid your fees and they gave you some maintenance grant. I'd had my grant. So uh, if I was going to go to drama school, someone, my parents, if I had it, would have had to stump up all the fees. But Central was funded by the London Education Authority. And it was only £300 a year. And I worked all the way through it. Uh, I'm sure my parents helped me. I can't remember. But I had a lot of jobs. So I, I picked it just because it was cheap. And actually, you know, one of the great things about Central then and all the drama schools then, which is not true now, is there was no academic requirements to get in so there were people there who were in those days we would have called illiterate now we might call learning learning difficulties or you know yeah. dyslexic um but they had never written or, or virtually read anything and i was able to sight read anything sight read shakespeare and give a performance instantly at the read through and i had to learn over the course of rehearsals i'd watch these people like the tortoise and the hare gradually some of my friends create rich enigmatic human heartbreaking characters Whereas I had the surface of it instantly. I tried to unlearn or learn not to use my brain, which is what I'd used at university. What drama school taught me was to find some animal instinct and, and how irrational human beings are. Yeah. And not to be so sure that there is any one way to play any scene or any moment. And so I, mostly what I did at drama school was unlearn, not learn. Yeah, I totally echo that. I went to NYU. And while, while you were there, you know, was it, was it hard for you? You know, going from being in law to, I know you were doing productions, but to like tackling Shakespeare and this iambic pentameter and, you know, like, was I'll that? Tell you what was hard, what was hard is I'd done 40 plays uh, at Bristol, more, I don't know. And I'd uh, taken them to festivals all over the place and I'd mounted my own productions in Edinburgh and I directed to go to being a student again. And, uh, you know, we'd argued, I mean, in, in rehearsals, when you're doing a play and your friend is the director, you can argue and you can, the whole place can be this kind of, you know, yeah, crime environment. <laughs> um, but there were teachers and we were meant to give status to the teachers because they were meant to be these kind of Yoda like characters dropping pearls of wisdom. And they had favorites. Uh, the teachers I had, they had, you know, favorites and some of them were a little bit cruel, maybe, and not that supportive. They were wrong about who they 
uh, anointed as likely to be successful. It was, it was just, uh, it was very partisan. And uh, so the difficulty was going back to being a student. Not that I didn't have a lot to learn, but that these were the generation of people who taught me all moved on from Central. They now have an entirely new bunch of people who have come from the industry. Yeah. But mine were, uh, a lot of them passed their sell-by date. So that was tricky. And also, I was itching to get on with it. Yeah. I wanted to get out in the professional world. Two, professional two years world, or three years? You know, it was three years. Three and years. If, you, if you were playing someone older, you put a bit of gray on your temple, <laughs> you arched your back. Like, everyone, yeah. Everyone's the same age. Yeah. Mostly anything I've ever learned about acting, I learned before I went there. Um, and also on the job. On the job, you just watch people and, yeah. you know, have been lucky enough to be around some amazing actors. And you just absorb truth and you know uh honesty and their ability to to open themselves out and uh and to try and let all pretense go as far as possible yeah that's so beautiful and and while you were there you know did you you know because like i'll be honest i fucking hated my drama school experience did you did you enjoy it or no um well i was in, i'm i was a drug addict. So I mean, I was me too. High, uh, <laughs> I was high for the entire time. Oh, and so and I lived nearby in a big apartment where Rufus Sewell used to crash all the time. In fact, everybody crashes. It was the party place for Central. Um, and I lived with two girls that I really liked, who my friends, and I met my then girlfriend, now wife. So wow. some great things came out of it socially. I don't think any good work came out of it. You know, once in a blue moon there'd be half a production or someone in a production that was good, but I don't look back on any of the work. Fondly, I look back on three years of partying with people that I loved in an entirely irresponsible fashion, um, and one of whom became the love of my life. So I can't regret it. Oh, that's so beautiful, and I, I relate. I'll tell you, I had one. This is the thing I learned. This is a, I had this experience. I don't know what it teaches us, but if I learned anything, it was in this one day. I was uh, I I was playing hooky from a class that I didn't want to go to for some reason. I was sitting in what we called our common room, which is the room that everyone. You know, no teachers went in there. We just had a jukebox and a dartboard or something. Um, and I was sitting in there getting high. And I could see in the doorway two people from the year above me, the graduating year, who were rehearsing a scene. And it was a big, dramatic, shouting, crying scene. And I was watching, thinking, she's quite good, but he is just... They should have told him the first day that yeah. they made a mistake. And he shouldn't have come... Looking at him, he's making these noises and waving his arms and legs around and doing his cracking voice thing. But it's just... It's entirely unbelievable. No one's yeah. ever going to watch this. It's intolerable. By this. Yeah. I thought, this is, this is, uh, it's, it's ruining my, it's harshing my buzz. You know, I've got to get out of the room. So I stood up and I walked past them to get out. And as I walked through the middle of them, it turned out they were having a real argument. And he was really shouting and crying. And she was really shouting and crying at each other. Uh, and I had prejudged him. I had brought a whole filter wow. to watching him where I thought that he was fake. He was false. And actually, Nobody, not Marlon Brando, not Gary Oldman, not anybody could ever act any part better than he was doing at that moment there because he was the thing. And yet it didn't work for me. So when people talk about objective standards about who is a good and who is a bad actor, it's often just to do with our own personal biases. Of subjective. Who we like totally. Watching. Yeah. You know, yeah. not about whether they themselves are really in the moment and really. Uh, it's hard to be clinical about, you know, this this is a great actor because it's so subjective. I totally, I totally hear and, and agree. Some people like watching talk. There's no reason why Robert De Niro became Robert De Niro and uh, Paul Sorvino didn't, except that he met De Niro earlier. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so when you graduated, you know, talk to me about the landscape then, because now it's like, oh, I got to get an agent. You know, what what was your journey like? You know, what where was Jason's head at? Uh, I guess I was thinking I'm going to have to be a lawyer. I don't know how long I give this shit before I, uh, <laughs> before, before I do a proper job. Uh, but I've just done three years of drama school, so I better try and get, so, you know, I better work once or twice in, in regional theater. Do they have something. a showcase fact, or no? Yeah, we have a showcase. I've got an agent. You know, I've got a, a junior agent who just left her agency to start a thing by herself. It's been great. She's really nice. And, uh, and I got a job pretty very quickly before I left, I think I, uh, there was something waiting for me to go to Liverpool and do a play. I didn't want to do. I'd spent you know decades escaping and erasing the memory of Liverpool. There, I was, <laughs> yeah. to go back. Uh, only because I had embarrassing relatives there who had already notified the school to come, and he was going to you know I had to live with him, which was not what I wanted to do. Anyway, I went, dropped into my agent. This is this is when I you know uh, there is no such thing as fate, uh, but I do believe in 
uh, luck enormously. And I've had yeah. three or four very lucky things that happened to me in my life. So it's no kind of meritocracy acting. There's some incredible people you'll see doing street corner theatre and yeah. some appalling people you see in Marvel films. So um, I, I didn't know any better. So I, I dropped in on my agent in the West End. I dropped in her office. I thought that's the kind of thing you do. And it was mostly to moan about not wanting to go off to do this theatre thing. Because it was hardly any money, and it was Liverpool, and I was going to live with my uncle and aunt. And uh, as luck would have it, she got a phone call from a casting director while I was in there about this big series they were doing. And this person had already seen her clients and was on a second round because there was some parts they hadn't cast. And she put it on speakerphone, I guess because she was junior as well and didn't know better. And I heard it. And I started gesturing wildly at myself. And she said, hold on one second, put them on mute. And she went, look, you've got a job. You've got to stop complaining. You're lucky to have any job. And I went... Fuck it, I've never even met a casting director. Yeah. Gonna get, let me go and meet a casting director. That's one person I've not met. So, all right. Puts her back on speakerphone. She said, well, I have got a new client. Just took up and drove on the school. Jason Isaacs. I don't know if you saw him. Is it central? And the woman goes, no, is he any good? And I look at her and she goes, no, no, he's great. He's great. I wouldn't have taken him on. She goes, is he Scottish? She looked at me and I went, <laughs> all right. So she, she goes, I think that I'd not, he's not, I think there's some Scottish family somewhere. And I go, right. actually, I could do, I'm very good at accents. And I had been to the Edinburgh Festival many yeah, times. And I could do a Scottish anyway, so uh, I went to see her and I got the job. Uh, wow. And as a Scottish character, and I phoned the theatre director who I was meant to go off and start work with. And I went, look, I've been a student for six years. I'm really broke. I've been offered a TV job on the series. You know, I will come and do any play you like, any way you want in the future if you let me do this thing and she of course let me out of it and that was a huge break for me I, I was not the lead part but I was a regular it was a, a BBC show very popular correct? series that ran for a couple of years it was an ITV show called ITV Capital okay. City it was set in financial dealing rooms and so we were all in every scene and I learned so much the crew that shot it with the crew that had shot Star Wars because uh, there wasn't the film industry at the time so they were working wow. TV and uh, yeah I got, a, I got a launch out of it you know I got you know some profile out of it yeah, I can name I'll tell you one other. I was doing a play once, and um, they, uh, my agent called and said, you've got to go in for, to meet for this film, Dragonheart. And the only reason I was one of two or three actors to go and meet for Dragonheart is that a, a much better, wonderful actor had dropped out of the film to go into Cutthroat Island because he thought that was a better bet. Um, but they had already made all of his costumes. So they could only have an actor that had whatever I had, a 36-inch chest and a 24-inch waist and yeah. size 9 shoes. and like They'd made the hats. They'd made all the costumes. So it's a very small number of actors could audition, and I got that part, and, and that would never have happened. And that was my introduction to American movies. That's, that's Rob so, Cohen, right? That was Rob Cohen directing he, it. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's one of my best friends. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. Rob's on my show like three times. Yeah, well, send him, uh, send him much love. We, was, we should uh, all go out for dinner was, next time you're in New York. Well, you know... Yeah. One day, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let I folks. say that like last the time I saw him, he had a he had a long board, and he was at the end of Point Doom, about to go out and face some gigantic waves. And yeah, I cheered for him, but I wasn't a good enough swimmer to save him. <laughs> so I'm glad it turned out well. Yeah, he. Uh, it's funny you say that. His Instagram name is Surf DGA. But uh, sorry for exposing you, Rob. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he moved to New York, and we've been hanging. So right. he's he's the best. But so, what was it like then? You know landscape wise transitioning from you know british because like you know we as americans kind of associate the uk with aristocratic period dramas and <laughs> you know uh, americans kind of we mythologize our working class obviously Dragonheart is more of a a, a a fantasy epic you know but what was it like for you coming in and, and changing so you know i mean those movies were far and few you know maybe animated before but that was like made one of the first live action ones. It was one of the ones that had more CGI shots in it than anyone had ever done before, I think. Uh, um, that was an odd experience. I, you know, I'd just done Angels in America on stage at the National yeah. Theatre, and I was, uh, I was offered Dragon. You did the off London the debut of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The London debut of the uh, Millennium and Perestroika. And um, it was, I'm sure it will remain the artistic highlight of my life, no matter what else I ever do, you know. Uh, and it was, it was an experience. It was an amazing experience every day, not just for the actors in it, but for every audience member that saw it. So we knew that something very, very rare had happened. So I don't know what the hell to do next, but it, it was it felt un, very unlikely to live up to that. And yeah. um, I was offered some, I can't remember what, some prestigious show at the National, some kind of Russian, Scandinavian, you know, Hessian pants 
yeah. uh, kind of <laughs> play, which felt felt very much in the zone of uh, you know uh, uh, respectable acting. Uh, and I was also offered this third villain on the left in a CGI dragon movie. Uh, so I was sitting, I was doing a workshop at the time with Ian McKellen and Jude Law and various people uh, trying to see whether you could do an all male version of Shakespeare. God knows why the hell anyone would do an all male version of yeah. Shakespeare. They did it for hundreds of years. But anyway, um, I was doing it and I was sitting, looking a bit depressed at my tape uh, uh, in the canteen. And Ian came up and said, You're all right, darling, you look a little bit down. And I said, Well, truth is, I don't know what to do. I've been offered um, this kind of, you know, like second villain on the left in a, in a dragon movie in Slovakia, or they've offered me, you know, Chekhov or whatever the national, they went, kind of give a word of advice. And I went, yeah, sure. He went, take the movie. He said, I'm incredibly well known here. I've done the leads at the national, the RSC, everything. I've done every lead you could possibly imagine and all the Russians and Shakespeare. He said, and I am broke as a fucking church mouse. Well, if I had my time again, I would take every butler, every monocled aristocrat that came my way. And, uh, and I took his advice. And I went and actually, Rob, I remember this, but the first night in Slovakia, Rob cut me some pasta. I'm sitting in his apartment and I told him that story. And I said, you know, he said, I'm so glad to have you here. And, you know, I know there's not much on the page, but we're going to make it great. And I said, well, thanks, man, because I, I was really in two minds. Ian McKellen said, you know, he would have done it. And he went, really? Is he available? <laughs> and, I went, and I have no idea if he was joking or not. I said, no, he's fucking not. Yeah. Anyway, oh my about three weeks later, Richard III came out. Ian was nominated and became a giant film star. Wow. That's amazing, man, how it happened. It's just crazy like that. And then shooting things like that, I mean, you started... There's so much luck. Hang on, I think I'm frozen. Oh, I'm back. All right, cool. Then you really kind of started to take off in America because you got the Patriot and Armageddon, you know? Was it was it your agent no. that was tactical? Like, hey, Jason, let's, let's build you no, up in America? It was, um, it was Paul Anderson and Jeremy Bolt, actually, who made Event Horizon in England with me. I'd been at college with Jeremy and we knew each other and he'd seen me do all those plays and stuff. And, uh, he introduced me to Paul, who was his friend and business partner. And I did a scene in shopping, which is Paul's first calling card film that got him Mortal Kombat. So then Mortal Kombat got made in the toast of Hollywood. And, uh, they said, what do you want to do next? And, uh, he said, David Webb Peoples, my favorite author and Jerry Weintraub. This is a total IMDb. They said, Jerry Weintraub said to him, I've got a David Webb Peoples script, which he didn't have, but he was a very smart. Operator and Paul went, okay, what is it? And he, Jerry bought, I think, the script of Soldier and took it to Paul uh, Anderson. And Paul Anderson said, uh, okay, let's have, and they said, let's have Kurt Russell in it. He was very hot at the time. And Kurt Russell said, I want to do it, but I want a year to build my body up to be a super soldier. So he filled in with Event Horizon. It was, it was like a filler movie for Paul. Wow. And uh, since I'd had one scene in shopping uh, with like three lines in it, I ended up being in Event Horizon and Event Horizon had an LA premiere. And so I went and then I, I got an agent there and I went to a whole bunch of meetings with a million people. And actually nothing came of it. I did a really? million general meetings. Young actors do these general meetings. Now, yeah. Right? And, you know, just, even old actors do. And because the people don't know who you are, and you sit and you pretend that it's a social encounter, right. but it's nothing like it because you, when they're done with you, you're out the room. And you, I guess you're meant to show off in the meetings yeah, uh, sell yourself sort or of. characters or yeah. you know they're meant to be charismatic or you're meant to be I don't know chameleon like I don't know what the fuck you meant they're always awkward and terrible and I don't like doing them I'm still sometimes asked and I go tell me a project let's talk yeah. about a project yeah, yeah. anyway I went in and did a million general meetings and I read for some films nothing happened uh, and I came back to England I can't remember what I did some job somewhere and, then, and I know I got a job in Ireland in a film called Divorcing Jack, which was a Northern Irish comedy with Rachel Griffiths and David Pulis. And I went and I spent a week researching and rehearsing there with the IRA. And, uh, you know, it was before peace was made, so it was kind of hairy. Um, and it was a late Sunday night. I'm going to shoot Monday morning. And the phone call rings at 3 o'clock in the morning. And it's an agent from LA. I didn't have an agent there. I'd been lent an agent for the time I'd been there for Event Horizon. He'd just done a favor for someone in England. Sent me out on meeting. But he called and he goes, hey, Jason, it's Chris. And I got Mary and Mike and Tom from the agency and I got Tony and Des and Dory from Disney on the line. I went, okay, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. But we just, we had a talk here. Like, okay, great. What's up? They go, it's fantastic news. Michael Bay would like to offer you a part in Armageddon. And I said, that's great. What's, what is that? 
<laughs> and they said, you remember when you were here six months ago and you met a bunch of people? Remember the space uh, movie? And I went, not really. No, this, remember you said there was no, how could they make a movie with no script when they said you couldn't read it? And you said, I want to come early and read the script. And you went, you read some of the script. I was sorry, I remember that. He goes, well, that movie. I said, okay, well, what's the part? They said, it's, I can't remember the name of the character. Scientist and, uh, number I, seven. <laughs> no, 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 not that part. No, no, one of the astronauts. Oh, wow. And, uh, I said, this is one of the astronauts and it's one upon it's this guy. Do you remember him? And I said, no, I don't remember. I know. I don't remember at all. They said, well, look, you got to go. You get to go on astronaut training. You go up in the bombing comet, you know, a whole bunch of NASA with all the people. It's, it's amazing. It's a great yeah. thing. And I said, great. They said, there's only one thing. I said, what is it? They went, it starts on Tuesday. And I went, what, what, which Tuesday? They went, this Tuesday. And I went, guys, I'm, I'm doing a movie in Ireland. You called me on a, I'm shooting in the morning. And they go, you let us take care of that. And I said, we can't take care of it. I'm, I'm a professional actor. I've been there for a week. We shoot in the morning. Yeah. Jason, you got to understand something. This is a Bruce Willis project. And I said, guys, I look, it's not that I wouldn't want to do it, but you have to understand, you know, this, this is a David Thewlis project. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's a movie and I'm here and I'm working on it. And there's this awful silence. And I thought the phone was like, hello, Tom, Chris, Fred, George, Bert, you know, and uh, they said, we'll get back to you. And I said, well, don't get back to me tonight because I'm working. I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they eventually got back and I got offered uh, a kind of consolation prize, very kindly by Michael, of uh, Professor Quincy. And uh, so I, I took it because the agent said, listen, it'll be, they're going to pay for you to be in LA. It's eight days over five months. And the rest of the time, they're just going to pay for you to live here and we'll send you out another meeting. I said, oh, that's fantastic. So the first day, I go to the set and I do my only dialogue scene, the dialogue scene, which I sit at the table and do the, you know, catch up and MIT and all that stuff. And Michael goes, Hey, come here. What is that? Like theater training? <laughs> I, I said, I'm, I said, I'm sorry. Was I too big? Was it too theatrical? And he goes, no, no, it's fucking, it's ridiculous. I said, it's bad. He goes, no, like it's unbelievable. I'm talking to you and you're like this skateboard dude. And then I go action. You're like a total fucking science geek. And I went, so it, it was okay. No, it's awesome. Great. Do we have you for the run of the picture? And I said, you have me. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for six months. And I'm just working eight days. He goes, no, 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 no. We'll put you in every day. We'll give you like a clipboard. We'll put you next to Billy Bob. We'll throw you a line here and there. And I went, oh, great. Thanks very much. <laughs> and I then became uh, a glorified extra for the next six months standing there. And when the astronauts would go by and do exactly what I would have done in that position, which is behave like tier one of the actors, which is what they were, all I could think was, I could have fucking been one of you. <laughs> oh, that was my Armageddon experience. That's amazing, man. It's so that funny. Was, uh, how I could... Sorry, that's a very long story. Your question was, did it all take off? No, it didn't. It wasn't through the agents. It was that. Then nothing happened, and I put myself on tape for And then the Peter Patriots. Pan, right? Uh, no, no. The first thing that happened was the Patriots as a break. Uh, I mean, I, don't, I was doing leads on British television shows and stuff, yeah. but no one in America knew who I was. But I, they had offered the path in the Patriot to Jude Law. And he was taking a long time answering because Jude's very successful. He had a dozen movies to choose from or whatever. Yeah. And so they were panicking that he might not do it. And they had a production date coming up. So they put a call out to get some other people to go on tape. And I put myself on tape in my front room in, in uh, London. And I sent it off. And uh, they said, my agent called said, listen, don't get excited. They want to fly you out to meet you on the Patriot. And I went, that's good, isn't it? He said, not really. It's still probably going to be Jude. They're just flying you out to make him to realize. To force him to be like, oh, we got some. Yeah, about yeah. casting other people. I go, okay. She goes, but you know, it'll be a nice trip to LA. And you'll stay for a bit. And some other Fly stuff. first class. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I flew yeah. out and I went into the meeting. I met Roland and Dean and uh, Mark Gordon and Bob Roda, I think. And I did, you know, whatever I ended up doing. And uh, they were all incredibly enthusiastic. So I left and uh, the agent called, how was it? And I go, I mean, I don't want to tempt fate, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I got that. Yeah. They went, you didn't. Okay. It's still on offer to Jude. I'm like, Oh, um, and then I waited weeks and I assumed it had gone. Apparently the weeks were just a mail to get to see the tape who wasn't there. And they, they, before they cast me, I think they had to ask Jude's permission to drop out of the film, which I've never thanked him for, but he did. And it was, uh, that was a huge break for me. Yeah. That was break. your first leading role opposite, you know, Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and it's your... on, it's on every July the 4th in America. People think it's, uh, it's on all the time. It's a classic Burns documentary. Yeah. I get it... people coming up to me all the time saying, you know, my fifth grade teacher, history teacher showed me the Patriot. The whole class was like, did they tell you 
then that it was bullshit. <laughs> I go, yeah. Uh, no, why? what do you mean? What was bullshit? And I go, oh, all of it. Um, but anyway, it was a fantastic film and it's on all the time in America. Yeah, it totally is. And, and, and you're so amazing in that film. You know, what was it like, you know, coming up and, and sparring with someone like fucking Mel Gibson, you know? Was well, that- you know, there are many things we said about Mel in, in other contexts, but he was incredibly uh, smart and is incredibly smart as a storyteller. And he knows uh, now, I mean, he always knew that a film uh, like that is as good as its villain. You know, yeah. so you have to give power to the antagonist. So he played scared of me. Which is not something most Hollywood. You have do. so much power uh, in that role. You know, it's just you know, it's, but it's amazing. not me. I mean, I, look, I played lots of antagonists. Yeah, I ride up. I'm given a spectacular entrance. I have the tallest horse. I uh, come in and slow <laughs> me, and then I then I kill the hero's children, and he's scared. And then at some point, I burn the church down. And even when we fight, I'm stronger than him. I'm better swordsman than him. I yeah. kill his son. Spoiler. Sorry, anyone who hasn't seen it. You know, and even in the right in the middle of the film, there's a moment where. Uh, I, he's just tricked Tom Wilkinson out of releasing his prisoners and he's walking out past me, he's surrounded by soldiers and it's said in the script that he comes up to me and goes, before this war is over, I'm going to kill you. And, and it says, it said, for the first time we see Tabington scared and he steps back. And I went to Roland, the director, and I went, are you sure about that? Yeah. And he said, that. and this is the other thing, Roland was a, a wonderful collaborative director, allowed me, who was a nobody, still a nobody, but it was a nobody in the hierarchy of Hollywood to have as much creative contribution as anybody else. So I said, I don't think that makes sense. What do you mean? I said, well, if your villain is scared of the hero half through the film, the film's over. Yeah. He goes, yeah, okay, sure. So why you want this maybe simply something else? And I went, yeah. He goes, so try it. I said, should I say something to Mel? He goes, no. So we shoot the scene and Mel walks past me and he comes up face to face and he goes, before it's worse over, I'm going to kill you. And I took my sword out and I turned it around and the final cut we're in too close for you to see that. I turn around and I offer him the handle. And I said, why wait? And Mel, why I thought he was going to kill me. His eyes just went electric. He was so fucking angry. And, and he looked around. I thought he was looking over at Roland, the director, to say, cut. And looked at everybody else. And then he just finally spat out, soon. And he walked away. And when the Roland did say, cut, I ran over to Mel. I went, mate, I'm really sorry. I mean, I just, I wanted to try. But Roland told me not to tell him. He went, I fucking loved it. <laughs> And because uh, he's a proper actor, now, yeah, you know, he knew it's great. A proper actor, and he knows how to be in the moment. And uh, so there were many moments like that in the film that, that you know the film gave me power. Roland gave me power. So when people say I was offered a lot of villains afterwards in a lot yeah. of films opposite, you know, uh, very testosterone leading men, but the, on the paper they were they were idiots, and they were the the heroes ran rings around them from the beginning, and they were never bothered even slightly by them. I should have done it for the cash, probably, yeah. but I didn't want to do that because I felt the Patriot was a great villain. And I didn't want to dilute it. You, you know, man, I always thought you would make a fucking, you and Rufus both would make a great bond. Was that something you were ever in the running no, for? No, not for a split second at all. When the newspapers were running, you know, what is a list of people with odds next to them? They put my name there, but it was, I, they knew who it was for a long time. They knew it was Pierce, even yeah. when it was Timothy Dalton, because Pierce was forced to go back to doing um, uh, Remington Steel. And then I think they, they knew it was Daniel easily for a long time. And, and Daniel's the right person to do it. Frankly, you know, I did Angels in America with Daniel. And he just, uh, you know, apart from me, a lovely man, a good actor and stuff, he just was one of those people that people, uh, you know, kind of electric sexual charge around. Yeah. Men and women fancied him. You know, men who didn't fancy men fancied him. I had had a lot of sex with him on stage and I'm straight <laughs> to get him. I still, you know, I still enjoyed making out with him. Yeah. He just has that, he has that very manly appeal. He was a perfect choice. And I was, no, I was never in the fold, but nor would I ever be in the fold for a villain while it's Daniel either, because yeah. the press could have a field day with the fact that we'd, we'd had a lot of sex before on stage. <laughs> it's so beautiful, man. I love it. And so when, when the Patriot comes out, you know, what happens? Did you suddenly start getting a shitload of phone calls of just like, what, Jason, no. I need you in this. Jason, I need you in this. Jason. No, no, no. There is no point, by the way, at which I, I am popular and getting lots of offers. There's, you know, there's many you, offers. Very often so wrong to me. I reboot a career every now and again with something after a year or two of uh, it not happening. So if it looks from the outside, like I go from job to job to job and have lots of choices, not true. Um, no, the Patriot came out, nothing happened, and I didn't work for a long time. I turned down a good few cardboard villains in big films. Yeah. Because I, I came in, actually did a play 
about Northern Ireland, again, about the Northern Irish peace process at the Royal Court. And then I did um, Sweet November, playing a drag queen, mm, because yeah. I just wanted the variety of it. Yeah, totally. Uh, I made the mistake, which some uh, I, I counsel young actors against, of thinking anybody was watching. Like, people were watching my game of career chess. Yeah. Nobody gives a flying fuck what you do. But anyway, I, so I, I tried to vary it. And then I went to do Black Hawk Down, and I was one of a giant ensemble, and I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to have big parts in films again. Yeah. Um, and then Peter Pan came along, and I was Peter, uh, and I had to audition for it repeatedly. PJ was very, very fussy, and I think either the studios or the producers at various points wanted Daniel Day Lewis to do it, and Robert De Niro to do it, and various other people. And uh, it came down to a screen test between me and Rupert Everett, who had been in My Best Friend's Wedding, which PJ had done before. Yeah, yeah. And I assumed yeah. it couldn't possibly couldn't possibly be me because Rupert is a fantastic actor and knew PJ, but for whatever reason. Uh, Maybe he wanted to change. I don't know, but he chose me against, I'm sure, a lot of us people, yeah. forces gathered against him. Um, and that was a, a fantastic experience. And because of that, I wanted to turn down Harry Potter because I was offered Harry Potter at the same time. I thought, well, I'm not doing two children. Yeah. You know, in a wig. And my agent bullied me into taking, and my godchildren, my nephews, my nieces, everyone bullied me into taking Harry Potter uh, against my instincts. Thank God they did. Obviously. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Lucius, what a character, man. You know, I mean, for, you know, I, I'm 30, but, you know, when I was younger, I, I, I liked him. And, you know, what was it like being a part of something that that was, I mean, I think, God, at the moment in the culture, you know, we spoke off air about, you know, Taylor Lautner and the Twilight experience. But when Harry Potter came out, even just the books, it was like, you know, I, I've never. No, it was something. I mean, the thing about being a Harry Potter, first of all, sometimes I get asked, what's it like being part of a successful franchise well you know i just got paid an acting fee and went along and did some scenes i don't make the lunch boxes i don't open the theme park so you know so my experience of making it uh was was interesting it, it was this odd thing so it's a bit like a, a holiday resort you go back to once every year or two years and you see the same people and you like them but you don't see them in between so i wasn't on it all the time you know none of the adults were there for much apart maybe from alan or michael you know you'd go and do yeah. a little bit and you'd leave and you wouldn't be there for a long time. So it wasn't my life the way it was Tom, you know, Rupert, Dan and Emma's life. Um, but there was something on the set, no matter who was directing, that I've never felt before and never felt since, which is an absence of fear. On every project you ever do, no matter how bullish everyone's pretending to be, there is always the undercurrent, the subtext of what if nobody watches this? What if we're getting it wrong? What if there's yeah. no audience for this? Whatever? What if nobody buys a ticket? Uh, you know, what if we get cancelled if it's a TV show? And once we were three movies into Harry Potter films, you thought, okay, what, what can we do that's great? Because these books are great. They're beloved all over the world. People are definitely going to go and see this film. Yeah. And they had the time and the money and the inclination to make it great. And so, oddly, for texts, which were gospel, I mean, people know whether it's a semicolon or a full, you know, a period or anything in those movies. Yeah. We, were, we all had a lot of freedom to improvise on set and to make scenes great, to find new moments find things that weren't in the book and that were different from the book. All the directors created this, oddly, for a gigantic enterprise like that, this sense that we were a bunch of mavericks telling your story, because maybe you had the space. Um, and it, you only notice it afterwards when you go back onto normal jobs. You go, oh, that's yeah. what we have there. Have totally. an absence of fear. Yeah. I'm, ge I'm, I'm getting the uh, heads up that I got I to gotta wrap uh, up. Oh, damn. Someone else knows. Um, I'll come back to you. Yeah, please. I, I, so let me... Do what we're here to do, and we'll come back and we'll do more. Because, like, I fucking love you. You're a legend, brother. Um, I like the sound of my own voice, and you're very patient to listen. Yeah, thank you, man. I, I, I love listening to you, and it means so much to me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Sorry, Alexa. I don't think we said the word Alexa, but she's talking. Alexa, shut up. <laughs> Let's talk Skyfire. You know, what, what was it like, you know, doing a Chinese... Sorry, Alexa. Thanks, love. Uh, what was it like doing Skyfire? Yeah. It was awesome. It was a gigantic volcano movie. Simon West. As Simon West, Con Air, the, one of the best, you know? Yeah, he can handle gigantic action set pieces so brilliantly. Um, and it was, you know, it was painting with big, broad colors. Even the suit I'm wearing and the color skin they gave me. <laughs> my dark, black hair, you know, and it was, uh, it was fun. I was essentially, I was Richard Attenborough. You know, the, the story in brief is that I'm an entrepreneur. Um, South African, I, I noticed, right? South African. Well, I, yeah. I made him South African after Elon Musk, who was buried or lost in South African accent, but he is South African. So I just thought, who is an entrepreneur in the world? Yeah, um, totally. Let's make him that. 
And he's built a gigantic, or building a gigantic resort inside the rim and alongside a live volcano. And according to the current buzz phrase, led by the science. So he's not doing anything wrong. He's not doing anything more wrong than Richard Attenborough did yeah. in Jurassic Park. Um, but luckily for the audience, it all goes what we call kits up in England very quickly. <laughs> uh, and there is a gigantic, we call them disaster movies, but Chinese call them rescue movies. And funnily enough, I think the Chinese are probably more right. Because in many ways, the story is about a father and a daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just like it's, Dr. Zhivago is not really about the Russian Revolution. It's a love triangle. Yeah. Um, so it's a family story with some spectacular set pieces. And I had a ball making it. Was that your first time doing a Chinese production? Yeah. And, I, and also, you know, as I explained earlier, one of the reasons I liked acting uh, is I like the camaraderie, the kind of, you know, community sense of a rehearsal room and you're all putting this thing on together. But here, I couldn't understand what anyone was saying. And they yeah, that's why I have to. So, yeah, they all spoke Chinese. Uh, some of the actors were bilingual, but I wasn't hanging around that much. And so it's odd, particularly when you're doing giant stunt sequences and you just want to make sure you can hear everyone's voice and know what they're saying. Yeah. They're all making it safe, but you know, I'm still huge flame balls and exploding things and yeah, volcanoes masses. and lava and right near me. And I presume that they were all saying, let's not, you know, kill the guy in the purple suit, but I wasn't sure about it. Um, <laughs> you you saved so children, it not, you know. <laughs> it was not, but it was great. And it makes you bond with the people that do speak English more. I, the other thing is it makes you appreciate Western uh, unions, the guilds, yeah. because when they make a film in China, they don't have any days off. So they just work seven days a week for how, six months, a year, whatever it is. They don't have a turnaround, so they finish at two in the morning and the next day starts at six. That's what happens. Um, we, on our film, we had Sundays off and they couldn't believe it. They didn't know what to do themselves. Wow. Um, so that was interesting. And, um, and then the, the way Chinese people express themselves, I mean, something's a universal. Yeah. Running from flame, flame is universal. Totally. I love my daughter, she's still alive, is, you know, is universal. But, uh, how to ask a question. I had to learn to speak tiny bits of yeah, Mandarin Chinese in it. Yeah. You know. You do it but phonetically? Asking, yeah, 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 of course. But asking a question, you go down and get more aggressive. You don't go up and you can't be soft. And so things that you assume, you know, I speak a bit of French and Spanish and other European languages. They're essentially the same. You swap the words, but we use the same intonation patterns. But to sense what a Chinese person is feeling, you can't just superimpose uh, or imagine, extrapolate Western emotions. Yeah. They, they manifest themselves in different ways. So that was interesting. That's amazing. Well, the other thing, just from a, a, a business point of view, is that when a giant movie comes out in the West, it comes out on 2,000 screens. The biggest ever is three, maybe four. This thing just started before it rolled out on 20,000 screens in China. Wow. So the scale, not just of the filmmaking, but of the audience is unimaginable. For You're going to be the Brad Pitt of China. I can feel it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I'm going to be. I'm not sure there'll be another one, but I'm happy with just this one. That's amazing. Well, Jason, I love you, brother. Well, let's pick this up again. And Excellent. I, I got so much love for you. Good luck on the next one. You're the best, brother. All right. Great to talk to you. I'll talk to you very, very soon. All right. Very soon. Much love. Bye. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.